0: we respectfully acknowledge the University of Arizona is on the land and territories of indigenous peoples. Today, Arizona is home to 22 federally recognized tribes, with Tucson being home to the Autumn and Yaqui. Committed to diversity and inclusion, the university strives to build sustainable relationships with sovereign native nations and indigenous communities through education offerings, partnerships, and community service. Well, hello. So I know that last week we talked about doing our season reflection this week. And in preparing for that, we recognized that our episode with Northwestern University did not air, and that was an error on my part. I have to admit that my transition from California to Arizona had me leaving my incredibly wonderful colleague, Jill Trinidad, who helped me manage the podcast in L.A., and while I was on my own, I had to figure this out without her, and that was a difficult proposition. Add to that a little bit of COVID right before this episode was recorded, and I have all the excuses you need to know why Northwestern did not air until now. That being said, Dr. Elena Min and Sam Ritchie were incredibly patient and provided such wonderful insights that I can't think of a better episode to end the season on, except for this one. So, we're going to air the Northwestern episode this week and do our season reflection next week. It'll be brief, and then we'll head off into the summer for a little bit of a break. We hope you enjoy.
1: as
2: opposed to the other way around, right? Building my resume to build up to PA school, as opposed to accomplishing things, concrete things in the real world, and then having my story, having my vision and my certainty, my conviction about wanting to be a physician assistant flowing from that into your
0: application. Sam, it's good to meet you. I, I see you're from LA originally.
2: I am. Yeah, born and raised. So uh, in fact, I went to Loyola High School, which is just down the road from USC. So
0: I'm familiar with Loyola. I've had a f- quite a few students from there come to the PA school. So it's a good school.
2: Yeah, no, I went back. Uh, I'll, I'll admit my age here. I went back for my 20th reunion a few years ago, and uh, it was great to be back on campus. It's totally transformed from my time there.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And Elena, how are you doing?
1: I'm good.
0: I've had four cups of coffee, so I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you both for uh, taking the time to meet with us. Uh, I'm delighted to talk to you, Elena. Uh, it's been a long time of our uh, professional relationship. And Sam, it's a delight to meet you in your role as the admissions coordinator for Northwestern. And you know, having grown up in Chicago, Northwestern has such an incredible reputation for medicine and for healthcare. So I know our listeners would be really excited to learn about your program. Why don't we start first, Elena, if you could share with us kind of your path to becoming a PA and just let us know how you ended up where you ended up, if you could, please.
1: And again, just thank you so much, Kevin, for having us. It's been a real joy listening to the podcast. I know your intended audience has been applicants, but I've learned a lot and have been inspired. So I appreciate oh. your Stephanie's um, you know, project here. Um, but I guess back to me. Um, so. You know, growing up, um, as many of the PAs that have talked about this before, when you mentioned science, you know, the only path at that time in the 70s and 80s was physician. And, you know, being an immigrant of Korean parents, I felt that pressure from day one and went through college and ended up graduating a semester early and realized that I maybe there are other things to do. And so I really enjoyed animals and humans at that time. So decided to use that time to kind of dive into that and volunteered at a veterinarian office and then at a pet store and quickly learned that um, my fear of spiders and animals was validated. So I switched to human and worked in an eye center as an ophthalmology tech. And along that timeframe, I met someone that was leaving the practice to go to PA school. So she told me about it. I went to the library because there was no internet, as you know, at that time. Pretty much looked it up on microfiche and printed off a few schools. um,
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Oh, you remember microfiche.
0: Yeah, I do remember microfiche, yeah.
1: At that time, um, it was funny. I didn't even know, but it only printed off a handful of schools. And so I ended up applying to those schools that were in the area. um, And at the same time, knew I wanted a way to pay for school. And applied for the National Health Service Corps scholarship. I can talk about it a little bit more later. Um, ended up getting yeah, yeah. it. I was in a town of 3,600, so I knew that I wanted to work in the underserved area. Um, got into Midwestern, which is the same school you graduated from, Kevin. I believe you were just a class above me. And um, really enjoyed my time, practiced clinically, and then um, at a primary care practice. And then um, needed to move back to Chicago uh, for um, personal reasons uh, for my husband. So it did work out. Um, and then ended up applying for jobs. And came across the faculty position. At the time, I knew I wanted to go in education, but I didn't know if I wanted to go in. So soon. But again, just kind of took a leap of faith. Pat Not from Roz Frank took a chance on me, which I'm very grateful to this day. Um, and then it just kind of stuck. And from that point on, I guess the rest is history. I've spent most of my eighteen you know most of my time eighteen years of it in the clinical educator role, and that's how um, I met my friend, now colleague Sam.
0: Yeah, so Sam, how about you? How did you end up in the PA education world and helping to, helping applicants navigate the application process for Northwestern? Thanks so much,
2: Kevin. And I just wanna echo Elena and say uh, thank you, a big thank you uh, to you uh, for having us here today. I listened to several episodes of the podcast and we're in great company here and it's just a privilege to be here uh, to share our experiences uh, today and to grow the profession. So uh, I've worked for Northwestern University for a decade now I started off working uh, in the undergraduate chemistry department on the Evanston campus, which is about, oh, 10 or so miles north of downtown Chicago. And there for seven years, I worked with uh, undergrads uh, taking uh, those classic chemistry courses, uh, general chemistry and organic chemistry. So as you might imagine, those students were heavily focused on pre-health. And so I got to know their mindset and their objectives, goals, vision, uh, working with them over the years and the faculty that taught those courses. And three years ago uh, or so, I had the opportunity to join the PA program, and I took that opportunity. And I'm glad that I did because it allowed me to meet Elena and work with her. And so uh, I worked uh, directly with Elena for uh, a little over two years as the clinical year coordinator, the second year coordinator As our program. And then earlier this year in February, or not this year, now we're in 2022. uh, About a year ago, I started in the admissions coordinator role, filling those shoes for my great colleague, uh, Jeremiah, who departed for another opportunity. Uh, And it's been great to work on this side of the table as well. Uh, I think the common thread that connects all three of those roles, both in the undergraduate role in chemistry at Northwestern, working with the second year students, and now uh, with prospective applicants applicants and newly admitted students is that it's helping grow people's professional careers and academic careers and so i've enjoyed that for over a decade now the applicants our students inspire me and to the extent that i can help them achieve their goals and clarify what they want to achieve with their professional careers i am just excited tremendously excited by that and i look forward to the work each day
0: So, Sam, you're kind of a triple threat. You've worked with the undergrad side of the house. You've worked with the PAs out on the clinical side. And now you're in between helping kind of navigate from point A to point B, so to speak.
2: That's exactly right. And I I like your framing there. I I feel like my experience has allowed me to see the different sides uh, of the equation. And um, now that I work with our alumni too, I'm able to work with them both directly as they participate in the admissions process. It gives me a vantage point, too, to see the entire longitudinal experience from undergraduate student that's thinking about PA school through current PA student and then on to practicing a PA that can then reflect upon their experience in PA school and bring that their experience as a professional out in the field to bear uh, on our own admissions process in terms of identifying who's a good fit for our program.
0: That's great. So, so let's, let's pursue that a little bit. When you look at your applicant pool, what are the kind of things that you're looking for at your program at Northwestern to kind of ensure that the people that are coming, there are going to be well-prepared to be successful.
2: That's a great question, Kevin. And uh, I think I will draw upon our mission. Uh, it's core to everything that we do. And as I like to say, when you look at any organization, be it academic, uh, corporate, whatever the case may be, Uh, You want to look at their mission statement and ask seriously, are they fulfilling that mission? Are they living, are they driven, are they living up to it? Are they driven by that mission? And for us, I really think there are four uh, components, four tenants that we look for and this informs our admissions process as well. Uh, We're looking for applicants that have worked or able to work in interdisciplinary teams to collaborate with others. Uh, We're looking for individuals that are invested in everything they do in the growth mindset, continuous learning, uh, viewing uh, their day-to-day approach, their year-on-year approach uh, to growing uh, themselves professionally, academically, and personally throughout the process. In other words, the learning is never over. Uh, I also uh, think it's vital uh, that our applicants uh, demonstrate cultural competency, uh, an investment in that across their professional and academic uh, endeavors, and then contributions back to their community, be that community uh, very local, uh, literally their family or their their direct network, or in the broader sense, their city or their region. And so when I uh, counsel applicants, when we talk to applicants, when we hold our information sessions, I like to think that we message to them that these are the most important things that we are looking for. And these are the investments that we are looking for them uh, to make, both in their own lives and in terms of their application to the program. And all of that in some creates a good fit for us, someone who can work on a team and collaborate effectively, someone who is has embraced the growth mindset, looks to learn each day, someone who uh, is invested in their own community And the cultural competencies that come along with that.
0: That, That's awesome. So Elena, I would imagine Northwestern is well known to have this hybrid problem-based learning curriculum as part of your curriculum. And so I would imagine that especially that team-based part and cultural competency as well are, are two really key ingredients to success in that model of curriculum.
1: Absolutely, and I would just kind of segue off of what Sam has said as well. You know, knowledge of the fact that we are a problem-based hybrid program is key too. You know, during our interview process, we actually have the candidate go through a problem-based learning session because I think that that's one of those you know concepts that people think that they're that they want to be a part of and think would really be conducive to their learning. But sometimes it's not a fit, right? And it's a lot of work. And it's a choice, right, to go into a hybrid program. It's definitely unique, you know, opposed to a, you know, a regular kind of or lecture-based program. And it takes a lot more time and effort. And similar to why, you know, candidates pick a three-year program, such as USC or Colorado, um, ours is one that will, um, that does require an extra amount of effort, different types of effort, right, in different learning styles and management styles. I would say that that is one of the biggest pieces for me when I look and interview a candidate is, do they fully understand what our curriculum is about and what you know the mission is, like Sam said, and do they have those skills, right, those collaborative skills, um, whether it be like, you know, like Sam said, through service or working with different types of people or cultures and, and such so that they can be a meaningful contributor to the PBL format because they will be working with a small group of six. And that's something that we always ask, you know, how do you work in teams? You know, sometimes I ask them, which part of the team are you, uh, would you be considered, you know, the leader, the follower, and how do you fit within that team? So when we look at our class, we do look at that as a whole. How will okay. the person fit in, you know, as a collaborator within the team?
0: So as a long-term educator with over 20 years of experience and, and somebody who's one of the longest standing directors of clinical education, how does that translate to your rotation experiences for your students?
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like I always used to joke that I'm really content with mediocrity, um, but I would say that I've stayed in this role because, you know, I, I value the role. And, you know, obviously as a professional and a faculty, you pick things that you, that you feel like you can contribute. And so from that standpoint, I've really grown over the last 10 years of kind of changing the mindset of that, you know, it's a more, I guess, patriarchal type of uh, alignment with, you know, setting up rotations to more of a student-invested process. And I think that's really changed the way that we've approached rotations, experiences. We have the students really invested in the process. So it's become a much more learner-centered process from our end or from my end at Northwestern regarding the clinical aspects of, you know, how we kind of thread these pieces is that, you know, being a part of a medical center um, where we have physicians and we have physical therapists and nursing and, and a lot of collaborative teams, again, we have that luxury, right, of being able to really cater and curate our experiences for our student. And I think I draw from that experience just to kind of the ups and downs, right, of being, and also the, the, the shortage of rotations, being able to create kind of some, some great experiences for the students. And, and we have such great health systems here. You know, it's, a, it's, really, it's really amazing, I will say, the Northwestern being able to have these networks in place.
0: Yeah, I, I, having grown up in Chicago, I think it's just so wonderful to have uh, an institution with that reputation of their medical school uh, embracing the PA profession. It's, it's good for, for the profession. It's good for the community. That's, that's really wonderful. S- Sam, let's switch over to you for a second. So in terms of your applicants, what are some of the challenges that you see applicants typically face in navigating your process? I suspect you have a lot of applicants who don't get in on their first try, maybe not even their second or third. What are some of those key tips that you're always providing them to help, help them navigate your process?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question uh, too, Kevin. And I'm sure at USC, you see uh, this as well. I think in general, it's difficult for any applicant to navigate the very, there's so many different programs with so many different requirements and it takes a lot of effort and energy uh, to keep track of what each program requires, uh, where their specific focuses uh, may lie. And so I know that's one thing very much on our applicants' minds. If I can generalize a little bit though, I think one of the big perceptual disconnects uh, for applicants out there is how to blend their aspiration and their accomplishment. So we get a lot of younger applicants that are heavy on aspiration and we absolutely want that. And they're almost looking not to bypass, but to short circuit uh, the accomplishment side. And and what I like to encourage, especially these younger applicants to do is to, to get out there and to start working to get involved in their communities in whatever way uh, they see fit and not to focus so much on resume building, because I think we've inculcated this into our uh, young people's mindset from, you know, I certainly, my generation and certainly younger generations, uh, this has been the case that they're building a resume from virtually kindergarten, right? And so I think what I, I like to suggest to applicants is to try to step outside that mindset, think of yourself as a professional trying to build the initial stage of your career, uh, growth opportunities, professional advancement opportunities, uh, the opportunities to contribute in a greater fashion, more collaborative fashion in your community will be presented to you if you make those investments and you approach them with enthusiasm. And then from those investments will flow the opportunities Uh, to attend PA school, as opposed to the other way around, right? Building my resume to build up to PA school, as opposed to accomplishing things, concrete things in the real world, and then having my story, having my vision and my certainty, my conviction about wanting to be a physician assistant, flowing from that into your application. And uh, so often my advice is invent... Invest in both yourself in terms of being, building a professional career pre-PA school and then also get make sure when you apply to either to Northwestern or USC or whatever program you're applying to, make sure that you are tailoring your application and that you truly have a strong understanding of what the program offers and that should there be supplemental essays or other components of the application that specifically address fit with the program, you're taking those absolutely seriously and you're putting forth your best effort to convey to the program based on your own lived experiences and not merely your aspirations, that the fit is right for you and that you're ready for the opportunity.
0: So basically they have to walk the walk for a little while to be an authentic applicant.
2: I think so. And I don't want to overplay. Uh, I don't want to downplay too much the aspirational side of things because that's important too. I think, a strong applicant has that blend of lived experience and the drive, uh, that comes with knowing that they're not all the way where they want to be and they're reaching higher. And so those two things can come together, I think, and we're never really done. Right. And that, that kind of flows again from our mission of continuous learning, uh, that we're never really done building yeah. ourselves and working on ourselves. And, uh, uh, my number one recommendation to, to applicants who don't have substantial clinical experience already is to, to get out there and start building that because uh, we see many applicants who may have great academic experiences and performance, and yet they have maybe half a year uh, building up towards a year of clinical experience, and, and that's great, but uh, I think there's so much more to explore there in terms of what you can achieve professionally uh, before you apply. And you'll just know with so, much, so uh, with such greater certainty that, that PA is the right choice for you.
0: And so this question is really for either of you. When you have an applicant who's kind of met that bar and now you're kind of shifting gears to help them understand why, why Northwestern is a good choice for them, what are the things that you like to highlight about your program that make you unique?
2: I think I'll, I'll start and, and I'll have uh, Elena jump in. I think it has to start uh, for us with, uh, PBL, or problem-based learning. That is central to our culture as a program. As Elena mentioned, we're, we're a hybrid program. So PBL is, is part of what we do. Our students meet about seven to eight hours uh, per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and these small group sessions, six students with a faculty facilitator. And that in itself uh sounds nice but i think what really what really is important or what the takeaway here is for the audience is the idea of the student as a self-motivated self-driven self-accountable learner at the end of the day if the faculty facilitator uh, is doing a good job if the students are doing a good job the entire process uh, from a to z is driven by the students they're identifying the gaps uh, in their knowledge base, they're addressing those throughout the week with what we call learning issues, essentially presentations to their classmates. They're relying on their classmates who have different clinical experiences prior to PA school. For example, one might have been a respiratory therapist, another an EMT, another in mental health. They're bringing all that together to solve a problem collaboratively, and not only to arrive at a diagnosis and treatment plan at the end of the week, but to shore up those gaps that may not be directly relevant to quote-unquote solving the case. If that mindset is truly instilled in our students via PBL, and we hope that it is, they will graduate from our program and be independent learners for the rest of their lives. So they have to bring that that desire and skill set in, and then we, as a program, uh, seek to reinforce that and kind of turbocharge that. So I, I would say PBL is fundamental for us.
0: What else?
1: Yeah, and also, you know, we're a smaller program. You know, we're at 36 students, and we always tell our students that if you want to hide in the back of the classroom, um, like I did in high school, um, you can't because we're all going to, you know, our class is big, Kevin. So uh, you're always going to be seeing. And be a part of it, right? The other pieces I would add outside of the hybrid curriculum is that we have some really great introductory clinical experiences. So we have something called educated center medical home, centered medical homes, or ECMH as we call it, where in the first year the students are passed to go to a clinic with medical students and actually get to practice. Of course, it depends on where they are in the curriculum, whether they can do a history and physical, but that gets them into clinics immediately and introduced to how to present, how to do Mm -hmm. records, you know, document records and really apply what they're doing. Um, The other piece is that we have a nice systems-based curriculum, which has longitudinal courses. So by that, I mean, we have like one core, you know, we have anatomy that traverses the entire year. You know, we have a traditional anatomy cadaver, we have um, physiology, we have, uh, behavioral and Preventive Medicine, uh, which is Chris Healy, as you know, uh, a passion project, um, and they are um, longitudinal, meaning they all follow the same system with pharmacology included, along with lab, and it makes for a really nice kind of interplay uh, for learning. Um, we have some repetition, you know, that goes into the cases, and I think that that's a great way to learn. And then lastly, I'd say we have some really nice mentorship programs. So um, the APP committee at our hospital started last, it's been two years, Sam, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. About two years, started an APP mentorship program. So we pair them with an APP in the hospital and they serve as their mentor for the first, for the two years of the training. That's been a really big step for us to remain connected with the hospital, and so we're ten years into this. So we are getting less and less of the comments. Oh, we have a PA program. Um, So again, bringing in our APPs and our practicing APPs has really helped balance kind of um, our you know our program and and allowed students to get some insight into professional life as well.
0: What a brilliant idea! I love that idea. That's a fantastic concept. And I remember when I was working in Chicago, Northwestern you know, they, they were not pro PA for many, many, many years. And it was probably, I'm probably aging myself, but it's probably 25 years ago, 20, 20 years ago when they first hired PAs in interventional radiology. And then you started to see that tick off. In fact, it was a Midwestern grad that they hired as I recall. So how wonderful, how many APPs are a part of this program now? A lot.
2: uh, (laughs) Dozens. I, I don't have an exact number for you, but dozens, uh, we have a huge network of colleagues throughout Northwestern Medicine, many of whom work to, uh, right across the street from uh, our campus uh, at Northwestern Memorial Hospital or Lurie Children's Hospital, uh, but, and many of whom are, are alumni of the program uh, as well. So
1: yeah,
2: we've gotten to great. see, uh, just in my three years, I've seen our alumni presence at uh, Northwestern Medicine blossom uh, quite a bit.
0: Wonderful. Alina, I would imagine the changes of healthcare have been very beneficial to you as a clinical director in the sense that Northwestern, maybe a decade ago, started to expand all over the Chicagoland region. They bought up the hospital. I cut my teeth as a PAN, and now my parents in that community go to that Northwestern site in, in Winfield, Illinois. So, so I would imagine your rotation opportunities are quite good as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really grown. You know, from when I uh, started in the program six years ago, we have boosted, I think, our placements within Northwestern, central Northwestern, or what we call them the mothership. Um we're probably at 40%, um, with about 20%, I would say, or 30% in some of these area hospitals. So the regional medical group, we have Lake Forest, it's been a huge boom, you know, for our site, um, and as well as our opportunities. And we've become really integrated with the medical curriculum, which has been like I said, so valuable for all of us in that students are involved in um, the actual. They're enrolled kind of in the same rotations as the M3s and M4s. So there's built-in curriculum, built-in didactics. They're treated the same, you know, equitably, you know, as a as an equal. And so those are some some great kind of. Um, boost, you know, with uh, the expansion of Northwestern. And it also has enabled us to get outside of our mothership as well, right, to get the different populations, the bourbon, and get more diverse experiences for our students, to let us that flexibility. Um, the fact that we have four electives has been extremely valuable to us, especially during COVID shortages. As you probably remember, you know, electives are always easier to get than our core rotations. And so having those four electives and being able to place them at our satellites, or affiliates, has been, you know, extremely um, full, as well as beneficial to our students. And so what we do for those other 30% is we try to sprinkle in, obviously, more inner-city, underserved areas. We have some students go to FQHCs, as well as prison, or I'm sorry, the jail, and um, some of um, -of out-of-state rotations, as well as student-initiated sites. So again, that balance has been, you know, just a huge um, boon for us.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. And then your location still is down by the Magnificent Mile.
1: It is, Streeterville. Yeah. Um And that's, again, another selling point, I have to say, even though it's zero. What is it, Sam, today? Negative? Two yeah, digits.
0: it's just uh,
2: single digits today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's literally, just too bad. Yeah.
1: I mean, it is a drawing point. I mean, I literally have a blanket on my lap and a heater next to me. But, um, <laughs> if you know, Chicago is beautiful and we are in Chicago. Um, right, right in the heart of the Magnificent Mile. And again, that's three or is it four of our medical establishments where we then students are within a block of one another. Um, so again, that's a huge draw.
0: So you, I imagine you have a lot of students who are looking for a city life. They get a chance to live downtown. They're right there in the heart of the city. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty good recruitment tool for you.
2: Absolutely no. It's I mean I've lived now in Chicago for 15 years. Uh, Los Angeles native, so I I know I know that life uh, as well, and I know the transition. But this city is incredible. The options for uh, entertainment, uh, dining, uh, everything. It's the it's the complete package. Los Angeles is the same. I feel the same way about LA. Uh, but this is a great place to be.
0: Uh, Elena, um, let me switch gears a little bit and talk about your background as a educator at other institutions, you know, you, you came into, you were at Rosalind Franklin, you're obviously familiar with Midwestern University's curriculum uh, from, from 20 plus years ago, but what was it like for you to shift gears to this hybrid problem-based learning model? What are some of the pain points for a new educator that's thinking about moving into that kind of model? And what are some of the benefits from your perspective?
1: Yeah, you know, it was, um, I was really, I'll be honest, a little skeptical of it, um, you know, coming from a couple of programs where we did traditional lecture-based and kind of courses that were self-contained. Um, this is really new to me. And so I, what I did was I went through and I, I researched some of the problem-based principles and it makes so much sense, Kevin, you know, when you when you look at it, um, I will say that, I sat in on a lot of sessions before I came, became a full-time tutor. Um, it has been really enjoyable, but I, it is a lot of time for both the student and as well as sometimes for the faculty end, because it is seven hours of in-class time, right? And so I was used to being able to go in an hour a week to teach, um, and then you're done. It's really a commitment. But some of the advantages, I will say, is um, what we've already talked about was the way to integrate knowledge and see growth. Um, One thing that we do, which I really like, is that we start off with a PTL group of our advice, and we end with our advice. So we can actually see how things progress over the course of time, and also build that relationship, because we work in groups of six, and so we have six advisors each. And so that has worked out really well. But along with my growth, you know, as a tutor, you know, you sit there, and a lot of times you can bounce back the question, what do you think, right? You don't need to know... uh, Everything about the case, but you do need to know how to guide the students without telling the students the answer. And that was the hardest part for me, is I just wanted to throw them a lifeline and say, Mm you know, that's what a CBC is, you know, but now you have to say, you know, what is a CBC? Uh, Can you talk to us about it? And the students go off and they develop whichever topic they want to cover. It's usually a seven minute brief presentation, but they may say, you know, let's explore what is in the CBC and what it means, right? Or even more specific, like um, what or how do you interpret, you know, what is Wolf, Parkinson, white, you know, or something like that. Um, but again, that was a huge learning curve for, for me is how to kind of take a step back and let them run the show. The downside I would say would just be time commitment because it does take students some time to prepare. They do an L.I. It was what we called a learning issue. So it does take them time outside of the classroom and they present twice a week. And then one person presents an oral presentation twice a week. So, you know, just for grins, um this last year I made myself and Sam did one too. We both did an L I and oh my Lord, it was it was tough, you know, it was challenging. Um I think Sam's was four minutes, but I'm sure it took him quite some time. And mine, you know, I did was I, went, I ran over and the students gave me such grief for that. <laughs> it was very hard uh, to do. But I would say that would be kind of one of the drawbacks, right? And I would say if we were in a traditional PBL where we did not have, you know, standard courses, I would say the downside is, you know, are there going to be gaps? But for us, because we're a hybrid, we tend to work around, you know, what we've seen. We've been doing this for 10 years. We know what kind of the traditional gaps are in the cases. And so we're able to couple that with a lecture. Um, but I would say time and commitment. I think, it, again, it, it can be frustrating for students in the beginning because it does take time and they just want the answer. Um, but I think by the time we get to Unit 2 or you know, or 8 weeks in, I think they start to get a hang-up and they really enjoy it. Um, the other piece that we don't really talk about is kind of the hidden part of it, which is the hidden curricular part, which is getting along with one another. Um, we switch groups every 8 weeks and a big part of that is learning how to manage personalities. And workload within a small team, and um, that's the benefit again. Another benefit of PBL is you can identify those people that are less participatory, um, and also kind of quell some of the enthusiasm from others that kind of overtake the conversation.
0: Yeah, and 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 to me, that's that's the one thing, right? You've got some students who are just gunners when it comes to group assignments, and other students maybe feel a little less empowered, or they're more, you know, they're introverted, they're they're not one to step up and speak up. Um, and so that can be a f- challenge in that group dynamic, but what a great way to prepare them for real life as clinicians.
1: Absolutely, and it's a good crash course for newer faculty too, of how to manage personalities and manage the team because they can get uncomfortable you know, if you have to tell someone to, to kind of take a step back. Um, and we also give pointed feedback to our students about it after each session. And so I think that that's, it's a great learning for for our learning opportunity for a new faculty as well.
0: Is is there a way that you orient faculty to that so that they're, they're trained to be able to navigate that kind of, because in in essence, what you're talking about, Elena, is very similar to managing people as a director, right? You've got a multitude of personalities, everybody, you, you kind of, I I like to say that I play the whack-a-mole game sometimes when you've got one individual that's struggling and so they, they need your attention. Then another individual struggles later on. And, and it, it is the emotional intelligence that's required to be effective at that is challenging.
1: Absolutely. I think one thing that we've done that's been really great, and Sam has been involved in this as well, just to get to know the candidate, is we have, before we have someone go in as a tutor, we have them rotate with each of the facilitators because everyone does something, you know, does it differently. And, it, you know, and it should be done differently. We, we always tell the students that, some people are going to focus more on farm. You know, some people will focus more on physiology. It's whatever they're drawn to, right? Um, so I think kind of giving everyone a taste of how everyone teaches differently has been key and oriented um, new faculty to PBL. And then a lot of it, honestly, like everything in PA education is just learned, right? On the job. And it's just kind of, kind of learning kind of what works, what doesn't work. Um, and we evaluate ourselves, of course. We have the students evaluate us as tutors as well.
0: So Elena, one of the things that you've done with your career is you you went on to get a PhD and you've, you've done a fair bit of scholarship in your career as well, which I think for new educators, that can be a little bit frightening at times. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your evolution when it comes to your original work as an educator and now where you're at now in terms of your comfort with scholarship and, and kind of the skills that you picked up with your PhD program.
1: Yeah, you know, I would say that I would give advice to educators to go with your own timeline. You know, I'm one that really took my time with it on just different, on different levels, different levels. I got into education and I knew about four years in that I wanted to do it full time. So I actually am one of the few educators that does not practice clinically at all anymore. And so at that time, I decided to go ahead and explore a doctoral degree. Part of it probably was because I was tired of my parents not knowing what I did. (laughs) That's a joke, but, um, but so I, I, did explore, it took me seven years. Like I say, four kids, a dog, six frogs, I think a hedgehog and three guinea pigs is how I call it. Um, so I took my time doing that. Um, and with scholarship, you know, along the way, I, I would do maybe one or two things. Again, I really wasn't sure of what I wanted to do with the, the scholarship early on. I didn't do publications as much, you know, early on, I did more presentations, posters, because those were kind of the easiest or lowest hanging fruit, right, for new faculty. But I, I did take my time, you know, finishing my doctorate. And during that time, I really just, I wanted to do that focus on that and the family and things. And so after that completion around, I guess I've completed that in 2000, fifteen. What I realized was that I I did want to do more scholarship and the timing was right. And so again, it was really a path of me just deciding when I felt confident, when I felt comfortable. And at that point, I kind of went all in. You know, it was the right timing for me. And I would say, again, I was much later in my career when I decided to do more leadership activities. I'd always sprinkled some things here and there. Um, But I think that that was perfect for me, was that I found, you know, at that time was when I could invest fully in it, when I could really kind of use my skills to, to further, uh, you know, benefit others. And again, you know, it took me some time. I mean, uh, 2015 would have been, I don't know, I can't do math right now, but um, 15 years in to where I became much more involved with scholarship. And since then, I've kind of found my people. You know, I met you a long time ago, Kevin, but I've known a lot of people along the way. But uh, again, the last, I would say five years has been really a great kind of a learning or for me and into diving into scholarship and taking risks. Um, so I would say, you know, find something that you're really interested in. And for me, it was really the, the notion of educating other educators. I you know, dipped my toe into the workshops and fell in love with that, um, joined some committees that I really felt I had a true interest to contribute to and kind of curated my career in that way. And I'm in a really good place now where I feel like um, I can, again, serve more and be more of a steward of our profession. I don't know if I would have been that way, you know, early on when I was in the throes of, as you know, three young, you know, tiny kids and just not being... Sure. I remember when I was working on my dissertation or it was after I finished, I think. And one of my kids said, remember that the six months when we didn't see mommy, <laughs> <And> I never <laughs> never wanted to be that person. Right. I mean, and so I think, yeah. you know, I planned my career around that. Um, so, yeah, I think there it's, it's be-
0: a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it really is right. You know, when I did my PhD, I, it was uh, get up early and do work before the kids wake up and stay up late and do work after the kids went to bed and, it's it's uh, it is a significant commitment for sure.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I think I've learned that should have I guess worked on more as a younger faculty. What I would say to to my colleagues is find people to work with, right? I mean, I think it's funny we we you know we have these relationships and we have these we have so much at our fingertips that we can collaborate with. And I love the direction we're going with that. You know, whether it be this podcast, whether it be a Facebook group or you know, forum boards or whatever, reach out, you know, and and try to get involved if you have an interest. You don't, you know, no man is an island, right? So or woman. Um, so again, I wish I would have done that a little sooner and I think it would have been more feasible to me, right? I think it was probably sure. the problem of starting was really tough.
0: Absolutely. Sam, I'm gonna just ask one last question of you if you don't mind, which is since you've been with the PA profession for a few years now. What what would you say, and especially because you've 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 worked with the clinical students as well, so you have a good sense of what PAS really do, and and I'm presuming you didn't have a lot of experience with PAS before you uh, got to Northwestern. So, what's been the biggest surprise for you about the profession as a quote unquote layperson?
2: That's a that's a great question, and you're right. I didn't uh, before joining the PA program. I honestly just had a very preliminary understanding uh, of the PA's role in our healthcare system. Uh, I think what stands out to me, and and uh, as you correctly draw as a, a lay perspective, gives me a little bit of a different uh, vantage point is just the dynamism that both our students and then our practicing graduates are able uh, to bring uh, to the field. Uh, they're able uh, to quickly cross into different specialties or different areas of medicine. I've spoken with alumni, you know, they're, they had one job in one specialty, and then a few years later, uh, they left that to work in a different area. Uh, some of them work on large teams, hospitalist teams, others work uh, alongside just a few colleagues as part of a private practice or a small clinic, uh, some work with underserved populations, some work Uh, in cosmetic dermatology. So there's a tremendous amount of diversity, professional diversity, and then being able to transition between those opportunities and uh, to be able to work within those teams with many different players. That's just impressed me. I think about the type of person that's able uh, to thrive in that environment, both intellectually Uh, professionally and personally. And it takes someone with a high, not only IQ, but EQ, right? Emotional intelligence or emotional quotient. And that's what I see often with our own students and with other graduates uh, of PA programs is that you have uh, somebody who is able to adapt readily and successfully to a changing professional environment. And, And you both know, and I think the audience knows too, that this profession has not only evolved tremendously over the past decade. I've just been observing that, you know, from the outside. But uh, I'm looking forward and looking ahead to what is the evolution going to be in this decade and beyond. And I think we all know that the role of the PA in the American healthcare system is only going to grow. And uh, I'm I'm really curious to see what opportunities lie ahead for for our current graduates and then our future students. So.
0: That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. At this point, we typically ask you if there's anything else you were hoping to share with us uh, for our listeners before we say goodbye. Anything else?
1: Yeah. I would just end by saying, you know, for the students that are interested in applying the applicants, be yourself. You know, we still do traditional interviews. Um, We don't do the MMIs or any of those types of that, that process. So we still speak to them, you know, uh, just, just casually as well. I would say, you know, those are the things that I'm looking for is like Sam said, if you are focused, you know, if you change your focus or shift your focus from checking the boxes, right. Um, you kind of get yourself out of that cookie cutter mold. And that's what I'm looking for It's authenticity really is, is what I'm looking for um, with their answers and with just, some, you know, some thought, I think that you can get the answers anywhere, you know, along the way with interviews or with your personal statements, but we can sense it. I would say as a program, and I'm sure Sam could say that too. You know, when we even just through our interactions with PBL, kind of sense who's present and who's, you know, who, who really wants knows their stuff and is passionate about it. And so that's what I would re- recommend for for applicants.
0: Thank you, Sam. Any last words?
2: I would I would echo Elena and just say that uh, get out there and and work right, whether that be in the academic setting and research on a clinical team, get into the arena uh, and start achieving, start doing. And then when you uh, apply, when you write your essays, when you build your application, when you get invited to an interview and you share your experiences and readiness with the teams on the other side, you will be able to confidently, with complete conviction, draw upon your own experiences uh, to share with them why, uh, why you're ready, what you've accomplished. I, I think about one of the candidates uh, who applied last year, and uh, I actually interviewed uh, her as part of the process, and um, she had worked uh, with a healthcare organization for, I think, three years. And she started off at, on the lowest level, and she moved up progressively twice, and she eventually became a trainer of the new hires. So she didn't have to explain to us in any elaborate terms how she had gained leadership experience, how she dealt with conflict, how she'd navigated growth, taken on challenges, embraced them and overcome them. She was able to just tell her own story of her own experience. And then speaking with her supervisors, reading their letter of recommendation, all of that came to life, right? and All of that is only possible through actual achievement. And it is possible for any applicant to do any of this. All you need is the enthusiasm and the will uh, to get out there and grow and to hold yourself accountable for your own growth. Right. And so. That's that's a really
0: great point, Sam. Yeah. That, I mean, you're talking about connecting the dots, right? They're connecting the dots naturally in an authentic way to what you're looking for in a grad in an applicant. And it's coming naturally because they've had, they can draw upon those experiences, as you said. So that's a great way to end this. Thank you so much, uh, Elena and Sam. We appreciate your time and and uh, really excited to highlight Northwestern and wish you both the best of health in this coming year.
1: Great. Thanks, Kevin.
2: Thank you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, we want to thank our guests, Dr. Elena Min and Mr. Sam Ritchie from Northwestern University for sharing their time and insights into their program. I think we can all agree that they have a really thoughtful program and a thoughtful approach to how they look at applicants. Tune in next week as we conduct our season reflection. Steph and I will look back over the last season and talk about the things that we're hoping to highlight in season three. Until next time, I wish you success with whatever path you are walking in life. And thank you for joining us.